0: Our scripture reading today comes from Luke chapter 2. It picks up right where we left off on Christmas Eve. You can follow along in your bulletin. You can follow along the words on the screen, or you can just listen. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, As you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that would be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Ashner. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. And coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. And when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Like Chris said, you found your way today, I I never know what to expect in the... Bermuda Triangle-like atmosphere that somehow permeates the days between December 26th and December 30th. It is in this crazy time where you find yourself asking questions like, what day is it? <laughs> I got into an argument with my wife about could it really be Thursday? It was. She was right. I was wrong. As a husband, I took my final stand with this, though. I said, but are we really sure it's Thursday? Thursday. How do we know? Like, when, what if someone way back when, between December 26 and 30, lost count, and now we're just all assuming it's Thursday, it really could be any day, so a small win. During this time, during this time, kids are going crazy, right? They're not going crazy because they got lots of presents to play with, they're going to crazy because of the Christmas loophole. Santa's on vacation from December 26 to 30th. There's no chance you can get on the naughty list because 2018 is done, 2019 is when it starts again, so they're just going crazy. You've also got this kind of hedging your bets in expectation for the new year to come, right? Not talking about what party you'll go to or which ball-dropping time zone you're going to count. New York, so you can go to bed at nine. Nice. Here in LA at midnight? No. How many of you will be celebrating Paris time going to bed around two? Nobody? All right. Maybe that's just my house this year. But I'm talking about the expectations that you have to make for your resolutions. Because you got to have some resolutions. I'm guessing you've probably got about a soft four, right? You've got the one that you totally can do for me that's going to be ordering something new from the menu check it off 2019 off to a good start there's the one that you got to tell people so they'll think you're creative and cool i'm going to create a meme account people will be like oh that's great that's really cool i don't even know what that is thirdly you've got that one which you're setting the bar expectation way too high that's the one where you're like you know what i'm gonna buy a bag of lettuce eat it before it expires and throw it away you also make that one so that you can just do that beautiful saying, which is, well, 2019's not my year. I'm looking forward to 2020. And then you've got the final secret resolution. You don't tell anybody that one. Mine, can't tell you. Why? Because if I tell you, I jinx it. And 2019 is going to be my year. New year, new me. Now, these five days of this foggy, haze, Wild West living, sweatpants, wearing, familiar friends and family visiting... Reflecting and making resolutions is a, is a crazy week, and the surrounding events of the birth of the child of Jesus seem to be as well. Now, when Jesus was born, basically what happens is you've got Mary, you've got Joseph, and they're coming in, and they're wondering, okay... Here we are, we were given three things. We were given Jesus' name, we were told what he will do, and we were told who he is. But I wonder about the expectations that they had for themselves. I wonder what kind of expectations you have as a parent who will be raising the Savior of the world. And I love meeting new parents who have just had a a newborn, you know, I mean, all parents are great, but, you know, when you, you see it with the newborn parents, right, they rejoice, they love the child, But they also put a lot of expectations on themselves to be able to create an atmosphere that they can raise their child rightly, that they can provide for their child, that they can do everything right, all the way down to the right stroller, the right swaddling technique, the right music to play so that the brain develops, all of that stuff. And even if you're not a parent, you're familiar with expectations. We all have expectations based on what we've experienced, what we've heard, what we've seen, and whether that's good or bad, expectations are always there. So, as I looked at our text today of Mary and Joseph heading to the temple, already being told by the angel, already having those shepherds visit, what were their expectations like? How was it going? Because, again, they really only got the three things, right? Name him Jesus. Check, they did that. He's going to save the people from his sins. That's what he'll do. And then, who he is he's the child of the Most High, he is God himself. And they take all of this with all of these expectations that they have, because I mean, when my child was born, someone gave me a onesie for her to wear. It came in like a secret box. Did anyone get one of these secret boxes? You open it up, and the onesie says what they're going to be. Oh, you guys missed out. Okay, well, let me tell you. I opened it up, I pulled it out, and it said, Monkey Wrangler. And I panicked. I was hoping for, like, scientist, doctor. But Monkey Wrangler, I was like, I don't know how to raise monkeys. What am I going to do to help prepare her? The expectations were too high. I threw it away. I never let her wear it. But (laughs) I don't think Mary and Joseph could do that. And so the text for today picks up and concludes Jesus' infancy narrative in the Gospel of Luke. And what's really cool is it ends right where it started. The story began at the temple, and now his infancy narrative will end with him at the temple. Now, let's go through the text with me. I I prefer you to use your bulletin so you can see the whole thing. But the first thing we see in that text is that there's this thing called purification rites. Now, the purification rites needed to be finished before they could take Jesus and offer the sacrifice for the consecration of the firstborn. Now, what the purification rites were was that after seven days, one week, on the eighth day, the baby was to be circumcised. But following those seven days, the mom had to wait another 33 days to become clean before they could take the baby to the temple. Now, I thought that was kind of cool because 33 plus 7 equals 40, and 40 is a familiar number in the Bible, but I couldn't find anything else about it, so I kind of moved on. And when Mary and Joseph go, they get there and they offer the sacrifice. Now, they either offer a pair of doves or a pair of pigeons, which shows us something interesting. It shows us that Mary and Joseph were a poor couple because the regular sacrifice for consecrating your firstborn was a lamb and either a dove or a lamb and a pigeon. But here they are, a poor couple, raising the child of the Most High, not having much money. I wonder what's happening to their expectations of how they're going to raise this baby. They're there. They meet Simeon at the temple. Now, the text tells us that Simeon was a righteous and a devout man. That's pretty high praise as far as it comes to biblical descriptions. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, which is what was promised to them in Isaiah. And those chapters of hope, chapters 40, 49, 51, 61, and 66. So when it says he's waiting for the consolation, he's waiting for that fulfillment in Isaiah 40 where God says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And then it's immediately followed by a voice of one calling in the wilderness. In Jesus, the comfort of God has come. And Simeon, who was waiting for that, gets to see it. And that's another thing we get to see about Simeon, that the Holy Spirit has come upon him, that the Holy Spirit is revealing things to him and guiding him, revealing to him that he wouldn't die, but he would see the promised Messiah and guiding him right where to be. Much like the Holy Spirit works in our hearts today. The Holy Spirit reveals God himself to us in the word and the Holy Spirit guides each of us as we follow Jesus and share his love. And when Simeon picks up the Christ child, he picks him up in his arms and he addresses God as sovereign Lord. For those of you not familiar with your Old Testament, sovereign Lord is exactly how Abraham calls on God in Genesis chapter 15 when he says, sovereign Lord, you've promised me an heir, but I don't even have a child. And so here is Simeon saying those exact words, Simeon, Lord, as he holds the child. And he declares, now. Now he can go and see the Lord in peace because he has seen the Savior. He has known the Savior and that this Savior will be a light to the Gentiles and to be the glory of Israel. That same light that Isaiah talked about throughout his gospel that shines in the darkness and brings all people to him and the glory of Israel as their most high, as their king, as their one that has been promised. And verse 33 points out that the parents marvel at this. And at this point, I'm guessing that those newborn parents have the same three feelings that all newborn parents have when something like this happens. First, wow, that feeling of, wow, man, my child is special, and they are gloriful, and I know it, and this is great. And then they have that second feeling of, well, this is a little bit overwhelming, though, and there's a lot of stuff that i got to do now to, to, to make this kind of like, keep going this way. And then third, are we ever going to be able to go out in public and not have someone just grab my baby? I mean, did Simeon even wash his hands? Like, what's going on here? <laughs> but Simeon says something else. He doesn't just say that Jesus will be the light and that he will be the glory. He also said that this child is destined to cause the rising and falling of many in Israel. That there will be those who speak against him, that hearts will be revealed, and that a sword will pierce even Mary's own soul. Meaning that many will put their trust in Jesus and they will rise and be saved. But for many, he will be a stumbling block. Like Luke talks about in the parable of the vineyard a little bit later that Jesus gives a rock that crushes those it falls on, to those who can't get past their own pride, those who fall and don't believe in Jesus. And that Jesus' ministry will not just be one of glory, but will be one of a specific kind of glory, the glory of the cross, one that is marked by suffering and death, and that a sword will pierce all people's hearts as they see their sin and as their deeds are brought into that light And that this will be a personal ministry that all of us must become involved in as we follow him. Perhaps he's talking to Mary and saying that you're going to bear along that same pain as you watch your own son nailed on the cross, his side pierced. And perhaps he's referring also to all of us who share in the Lord's suffering. Who in the following of Jesus learn to bear our cross. Or as the Apostle Paul puts us, if we endure with him, we will reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful to us, for he cannot disown himself. And then we meet the second character, Anna, another prophetess who comes from the tribe of Asher. Now, Asher is the last tribe to be blessed by Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 33. And it's kind of cool that she's a part of the tribe of Asher because usually when we're going through the Old Testament, we mainly focus only on the two out of the 12 tribes of Israel. Really, we focus on the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. And for a lot of people, they think that the other 10 tribes just kind of disappeared when they were captured by Babylon and the kingdom split. But that's not true. After the capture and the release from Babylon and the return to Jerusalem, all the tribes gathered there. And so we see this tribe make its way home. It's also kind of interesting to play with the numbers again and realize that she's 84 years old. And for you math whizzes out there, you know that 12 times 7 is 84. I thought that was going to be an easy one for all of us. You all had the chance to be the math whiz there. And next time, 12 times 7 is beautiful. Now, What does that mean? Twelve tribes, seven for perfect and complete, all of Israel rejoicing and giving thanks to God, all of the Old Testament coming together here in the Savior. And what's she doing but personifying that, telling people about this Jesus, giving glory to God. And so I can only imagine that those two parents watching all of this unfold, who had just come in to give their small little sacrifice, see all of this, are experiencing much joy in the moment, And most likely their expectations now put on themselves are probably high to quite high. Because it's all good at the temple when everyone's rejoicing and prophesying, but it's Mary and Joseph who return home with the baby. It's Mary and Joseph who return home with the responsibility of raising the child, who return home with all the responsibility on themselves. I think in that moment that the return home is a turning point in the story, not just for them, but but also for us, I think in the big, we can look at this story and say, the Lord has come now. It's the beautiful piece about Simeon. Now your servant can depart in peace. The Lord has come now, and we need to prepare our hearts for the light of the world. For the one who will raise us up in the end and the one we give thanks to and rejoice in and put our hope in. And in that in between, before we are called home, on our return home to our work, to our lives, to our education, to this new year and a normal week. I think we can live either under expectations or we can live under the calling that God has given us. And I know that there doesn't seem to be much of a difference between the two, expectations and calling, because we put expectations on ourselves that are high and the calling that we have received from God is also high. But to me, there's this huge difference because with expectations, I think a life lived under expectations is one that is lived in fear and anxiousness. And here's what I mean by that. A life lived under expectations seems to always be constantly chasing and measuring and finding that it, it's never quite enough, We're never quite good enough. We're never finished completely. There was always a little bit more we could do, and that finish line is always moving just out of reach. And Very often, I find myself living this way as well, chasing that elusive dream, living in comparison, never content, but always insatiable looking at the people around me as my competitors rather than finding happiness and joy for them when they succeed. Finding myself not at peace, but but rushing to get things done and missing out on the moments that are in front of me and and a to-do list that when I finally cross something off it, I just add two more and it just continues to get longer and longer. Because under expectations, I need to make a name for myself. I've got to do these things and I've got to accomplish them because that is going to determine who I am. And then there's another life that is offered, one that is lived under the calling that God has given us. And I know that that life is different because the life that is lived under the calling that we have received is a life that is lived in gratitude and in hope and in wonder. See, when we live under the calling that God has given us, it's His name that is put on us. We don't make our own names, but His name, baptized into His name, is put on our hearts. We live under Him, and we don't worry about what we need to do. We do, as Romans tells us, the very things that He has prepared in advance for us to do. And as His children, He has equipped us to do it, given each of us the gifts that we need to do it. And that allows us to have hope and to have peace rather than fear or constant anxiety. For it is in His name that we'll always have the final say over who we are in our lives We're not chasing some dream that will always be changing and unfulfilling. Rather, we can live day by day in the Lord, in the day that the Lord has made and rejoice in it. We can live now and in the moment. Like he tells us to when he says, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. But right here, I will take care of you. And you, you just seek me first. Because with the Lord, every day is a gift means I can get up, look in the mirror, fix my hair, and when I wake up, believe that the Lord has called me by my name, that he has plans for me today, that he will include me in his restorative work today, and that he will be with me and will guide my steps. So I'm not in a hurry because whatever I'm supposed to do, it's there for me to do. I can be truly happy for others because I can be truly joyful and content with who I am because of who God has made me. I can let that seep into my mind and into my heart. And when I live under the calling, that allows me to start with God and then move on to myself. There's peace and rest in that. There's competition fading away and instead just this quiet walk of following Jesus. Watching in wonder as he pulls things into my path for us to do together. That way, when I get to work and I get there and I know this is where I'm supposed to be, and that coworker who's gonna unload on me and tell me how everything is, is wrong in their life, I don't need to rush away from that. I don't need to look at that as some inconvenience. I can look at that as an opportunity to be the presence and voice of God. Say sorry to them and say, can I pray for you? I'm watching wonder as God changes that relationship. When I sit down to do with my homework with my child as the school year starts again, rather than it being some struggle and it's tough, but we're just going to do it and we're going to rush through it and we'll get it done and then we can move on to something else. I can sit there in that moment and be thankful. Be thankful that here we are sitting together. And that I can model kindness and gentleness to them as we work out this problem as long as it's not pre-calculus. But I got a couple years to worry about that. And if I find myself sitting there alone facing something that is beyond me, something that is bigger than me, I don't have to look at that as some dragon I have to slay or as some Goliath that I can't beat. In peace and rest, I can quietly pray, Lord, I can't wait to see how you, how you will deliver me from this. So here we go. Whatever comes my way, living under the calling of God, comes with the blessing of knowing that he is with me and that he has equipped me to do what he has given me to do. Fear then is removed and love is replaced. And you probably noticed that the task and the responsibility, those don't go away living under the calling, but rather the way we go about doing those. Well, that has changed. And that's why we need to constantly find ourselves letting go of expectations and instead living under His calling, finding ourselves in His Word, in Him, and in worship letting his mercy and grace fill our hearts so that hands and habits change. For it is in Christ Jesus that we too can grow and become strong, that we too walk in the light and in fellowship with him and with one another. I want to finish our our sermon today by by bringing the band back up. Because as we so often see in, in scripture, God's word of encouragement comes and then, And then there's suddenly music playing, right? And I think that's purposeful. I think that's how it's supposed to be. And so as we sing these next songs and as you leave and you head out into 2019, I hope that you will choose to live under the calling that God has given each and every one of you. The calling that each and every one of you received here at your baptism. With his name on you good works prepared in advance for you to do and you confidently standing in his righteousness as his child of the light so that this new year and every day that comes after it, we will live under the calling that God has given us.